This is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I have my co-host here with me, Gina Warfel. And welcome, Gina. Hey. And uh, today we're going to talk about something a little bit different. As most of you know, Tristan, my husband, my my life partner, my best friend, um, father of my children, like my the brains to Provo Health and Gutsy Health and all these things, uh, he passed away two weeks ago and it's been quite the journey and it's, and I wanted to talk about it today. I wanted to unpack the story of Tristan and I wanted to unpack the healing journey that happened because so many people have reached out with so much love and so much support. And there are some people that are slightly confused, like, well, how did he die? Didn't he do everything right? And I want to take you on this spiritual journey. Gina and I want to take you on the spiritual journey to help unravel the beauty that has been the past five years. And I know that's really hard to understand. And honestly, if you told me a year ago that I would be saying this journey has been beautiful, I probably would have punched you because, <laughs> because I was not in that place. I was in a very dark place, a very scared place. And I want to talk about it. I want to talk about the evolution and the growth and the spiritual awakenings and the emotional awakenings and the mental awakenings. And, and I want people to understand this journey that we have been on and how it has been exquisitely beautiful and like life-changing, so life-changing. I mean, people are expecting to hear a broken down widow, someone who is just bawling her eyes out every day, not thinking how she can go on with her life. But I want you to, I want you to know that's not, that's actually not my story. My story is mm -hmm. very different. And the reason why it is different, and I'm going to tell you all the synchronicities, but I think why it is different is because Tristan actually hasn't gone. Like I feel mm -hmm. him every day. Like I feel him every single day. And it's so amazing because of course, like in the beginning, like trust me, the first week, like I could feel him so big as he passed. And when he passed, it was like palpable. You could feel the peace in the house. But when he passed, it was like his energy was being like transmuted through me and I could feel him around me and in me. It's like, you know, people use this term channeling, you channel someone. And I just thought that was bullshit. I just, I'm like, I don't get it. That's for woo people. But like, I feel like I channel him every day and there's only one way I can do that. And it's if I stay present and if I stay mm. in the moment and if I stay in this this extreme gratitude and awe for what life is. And it is the most incredible gift Tristan has given me because, because if I look back on the past year and the sadness and the heaviness, and trust me, it has been so heavy. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done grueling. I personally thought I was going to die. Like mm. just the endless nights of like no sleeping him going through his PTSD and his trauma and his panic attacks. And oh my God, like just thinking about it is in so intense. 
But if I think about the past, I miss him. I lose him. I lose his, his vibrancy. Mm. And if I think about the future, I lose it too. Like I get anxious. And so the way that I feel him and the way that I channel him is when I just stay completely present in what's in front of me right now. Isn't that so insane? Like, it's just so beautiful. It's so true because when you are present and you like, you see him and you feel him, you are like so connected with him in bliss. Like you are truly actually connected with Mm -hmm. him, probably more connected with him than what you were able to be the last few weeks of his life. Really the last few months of his life, you know? And, And it's weird because people think that when you die, it ends there and like things are so different. But Here's the thing, when we unpacked our trauma, when we literally leaned into perfect, like, and I said this at Tristan's uh, life celebration that Michael Singer, he, he's the author that wrote The Untethered Soul. Michael Singer says, it's truly a great cosmic paradox that one of the best teachers in all of life turns out to be death. No person or situation could ever teach you as much as death has to teach you. While some could tell you that you are not your body, death shows you. While Mm -hmm. someone could remind you of the insignificance of the things that you cling to, death takes them all away in seconds. Wow. And that is absolutely true because death did become our teacher and death forced us in throughout his journey to lean into what I call perfect love. And death literally took everything away from us, our comfort, our safety nets, our illusion of protection and happiness. And it stripped us of what felt like everything in this mortal world. And all that we had left was connection and love for each other. And so it didn't matter that his, well, it did, obviously it hurt a lot, but Like in the grand scheme of things, it didn't matter that his body was being chipped away by cancer. And it didn't matter that I felt like I was dying because there was love and there was like the depths of love. And what's so crazy, and I've actually spoken about this with other friends whose families have died of cancer, is it is so incredible to see how far love pushes you. You Mm -hmm. could literally do anything for those you love literally anything, hemorrhage your life force, stay up all night, like all of these things for those that you love. And so, I mean, I couldn't have imagined your situation getting any harder. Like you you saw it, we tested things got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then when you think like, there's nothing else that could get worse, like it got worse. It got worse. Oh my God. Like you were there, Gina, for like a week. Um, while he was alive, like my life was chaos. Our life was chaos. Yeah. And and that wasn't even the worst of it. Right. Yeah. I've never seen. Well, what's interesting is like, I've never seen anything like that to have so much like the level of care that somebody with cancer really needs all the time, just right. the emotional support, the actual physical support just around the clock every minute. But then on top of that, you have kids who are like, mom, we need you. Mom, right. we need cereal. Mom, we need this. Uh-huh. And it's like, constantly to be pulled in all these different directions right. and then try to actually financially support yourself and do all of these things is right. like, it is unbelievable how deep you must have to actually dig um, to pull yourself through. Like, how do you feel like you actually made it through that time? Well, and it was love. Do you know what I mean? Like that sounds so dumb, yeah. but it was because 
you love these people and you love and you want to show up in the, the way that they need it. Right. And so, you know, it's like that quote says, while people tell you aren't your body, death shows you and death showed us that we are not our body and that we are not the things that we cling to. And when those things are taken away, all that is left is the vibrational frequency of pure love. And it's funny because, you know, one of the things that I, that I came to realize is that you are actually not your body. You are the love that encompasses your body. And when you strip away the trauma, when you strip away the stories, when you unpack all the layers of doing, 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 and you just finally get to the root of who you are, your being, like that is where truth emulates and resonates out of you. And what is that truth? That truth is pure love. All the religions talk about it. All the the shamans talk about it. Like, you know, in religion, they say God is love. So your pure essence is love. It's the vibrational frequency. It's the life force of love. It all comes down to love. And so it's interesting because we leaned into love and we learned to love each other so hard throughout all of this and towards the end, like a love that you would never understand in a normal life, like normal, like our lives were not normal. They were grueling. They were hard. But when he died, that love remained and continued and it, it actually grew bigger. And because there was no hindrance of the mortal flesh anymore, there was none of that. And it's interesting too, because I imagine it like a solar flare. So let me, can I explain what the feeling in the house felt like the moment he passed? I know exactly yeah. when it happened. It was, it was nighttime and the night nurse came at nine o'clock. I was getting her settled in, showing her the robes. Tristan was sleeping at the time. So I was trying to tell her to be quiet and all that stuff. And so it was around 9.30 and I'm in the kitchen. She's sitting in front of him on her phone. Who knows what she was doing? And I was in the kitchen and I had this incredible, like the most peaceful feeling I have ever felt. And it, it almost was like palpable. You could like almost see it and touch it. It felt like a cloud. And I remember thinking, because a lot of times people come into my house and they're like, oh, I love the feeling of your house. I love like how your house feels. And I remember thinking, is this what people are talking about when they come into my house? Like when the house is chaotic and when the kids are screaming, is this what they're feeling? And I said, and I was like, oh, I get it. Like I get what they're talking about. And then I went on my day and my night and it was around like 9.45 and I walked into the room as I always do to check on Tris. And I, and I looked for his chest to see movement and there was none. And I, my friend Jaylin, who she's a nurse, starting to be a nurse practitioner, she was in the room and we locked eyes and I said, Tristan's not breathing. But you guys, the moment I saw he had stopped breathing, it was peace. I can't describe it. It was like, like I thought it would be shock. I thought I would like break down. It was immense peace. I can't describe it. It was like the calm, you know, like the center of a storm, you know, of like a tornado or like a twister or something. They always say there's that like calm in the middle of the twister. It was like this eerie calm because our whole lives have just been this like massive twister. And so 
I, I stepped out of the room to put the kids to bed because I didn't want to tell them. Jalen went in. She, she did her thing, did testing, pulse, whatever. And, um, and that was it. That was it. It was just, it was just calm. Now, obviously I was sad and heartbroken. And after I got the kids into bed and my parents came over, um, I obviously cried my heart out and I've been crying a ton, but I want people to know that, that there is still love and there's still signs and there's still like, there is peace in the storm, you know, and the peace comes, I think when you, when you allow yourself to get out of the trauma loop of death, because here's the thing, here is the thing. We are all going to die, all of us. And yet we all run away from death or ignore it. Like it's never going to happen to us ever. And it's the biggest, saddest lie we can tell ourselves. If we actually leaned into the lessons death could teach us, we would probably show up in life so much bigger and better. Well, I just think about like with Tristan's cancer and his death, as awful as that guy had to suffer on the other side, it is unbelievable how many lives he has changed so because many. of his cancer and his death. Like, I live my life so different because I because met him. Tristan. Like the lessons that I've learned from him have. I know. I mean, he he may have been the most impactful teacher I've ever had in my life. And so I, I'm kind of curious when when you are saying like you will never understand the lessons and the love and the depths that a relationship could have when until you're put into a position like the two of you have. And I mean, I'm sure that there's nothing like experience that can actually create that deep understanding and love, but is for people who are in relationships, who are not, you know, backed into a wall where they're, you know, having their last moments together. Do you have any advice from your experience? So my advice would be this. So people that are experiencing cancer with a diagnosis such as cancer, there is tons of trauma. You are literally traumatized. You are shaken out of your comfort forever, absolutely forever. And that can be really jarring in your life. And so what I highly recommend to people is before you pursue anything, get on top of the mental game. There are resources out there that can help you handle the trauma, that can help you unpack your trauma so that you can go through this world, through this, this journey with your heart blasted right open for the lessons that and the downloads that death has to give you. Now, I'm not saying that everyone that's diagnosed with cancer is going to die, but you should befriend death and not run from it because that which you resist persists. And so when you run towards it and you run towards the lessons and you run towards the downloads and the incredible, the incredible epiphanies that it can give you, it could be the most beautiful invitation and experience you ever, ever get to create in. What about um, relationships who are not faced with that cancer or counting down the days? Like, is there value from what you experience just for people who may be taking the relationship for granted or they're mm. not faced with cancer or something serious? Like, is there advice that you have for relationships or for people who are not faced with cancer right now? Oh man, for relationships, like this could be true for everyone. Like you are going to die someday. You yeah, are. Right. So don't settle for less. If you right. are having issues, figure it out. If you are not living your best lives together, 
create a good life, do the work. Like you have to do the work, but this isn't going to turn into a relationship podcast because if you're doing the work and your partner's not doing the work, then you can't get anywhere with them. And I was actually saying this to someone earlier today because I feel this way about work and I feel this way about time. You guys, your time is limited. Your clock is ticking. Like you are not getting any younger. So if you are, this life is so precious and so beautiful and so magnanimous that if you are just wasting it on relationships that don't serve your higher purpose and jobs that make you feel drained, change something. Anything. You just never know. Like Tristan probably never saw that coming to have a cancer diagnosis. No. And we never know when an accident can happen no. or when something can show up. Like you just never know. Never and know. It, it made that so real. Like 100%. he's what, 38? Tristan's 38, 38. right? Mm-hmm. He passed, right? Yeah. Here's what I think. It's like we are all walking around in our lives with our eyes half closed our hearts half closed and we're all living lives of quiet desperation. And the thing is cancer woke us up and we did more living in the past five years than people probably do in five lifetimes. And we did more Mm -hmm. connecting and more healing and more learning and more growing and more expanding in five years. Like we had the journey of a lifetime together in five (laughs) years and, and people, what did you guys do? Oh, so many things, but I, let me, let me come back to that if I, if I forget, but like people look at us and they, they see their worst nightmare, but I now have, I don't know. I don't want to say the wisdom. I now have the experience to see that this was actually the greatest honor I have ever had that Mm. we've been married. Like some people are married for 50 years and it's miserable. Right. And they have the worst, like, I mean, that's a life of quiet desperation right there. We had 15 years, 10, which were great or which were fine. Five, which were like so intense, yet so magical and so heart wrenching and so exquisite and so depressing and so like the opposites, right? It was everything. And then some. And so what was the question you asked me, Gina? (laughs) The things that we did. How Um, did you guys go about this? Like when you found out that he had his cancer diagnosis what in your life changed? What did you guys start doing? Well, so I feel like we were just, and I, and I said this in the thing that I wrote for Tristan on in his life celebration is, you know, we'd spent the first 10 years of our life just doing all the things, going through the motions. You know, he was in school for 10 years and, you know, and I was putting him through school and we were doing this and we're doing like, we were, we were doing the jobs and we were doing the education and we we're doing the schooling and, and whatever. And we were just going through the motions of life, right? Because that's what you do. And we did it comfortably. Like we were comfortable, right? We weren't ever outside of our comfort zone and never, and nothing ever forced us to, when I got Graves disease, yeah, I was forced to like step out of my comfort zone and like show up super hard for myself. And I feel like that prepped me for what we went through later, a year later. But when he got diagnosed, we started exploring things that made us excited. And we started creating things that like made us excited for the future and was just riveting. You know what I mean? We were able to co-create Provo Health and this Gutsy Health podcast. And I mean, I did things I never thought I would do, like start coaching people. Like, who am I to coach? And I was like, you know what? Let's just do this. Like, let's just go and let's just start opening our big fat mouths 
and talking. I would have never done that. And here's the thing too. Wow. Tristan is so brilliant. He is probably one of the smartest people you would have ever met. And he would have never stood on a stage and educated people if it were not for cancer because he didn't think he had anything important to say. He didn't think he had anything important to say. And cancer gave him a stage and cancer gave him a mic and said, Tristan, do it now. And okay, so here's something that's really interesting too. The day he died, I don't know why, but I listened to this song by Hamilton from the the Broadway show Hamilton. And if you guys don't know the story of Hamilton, he was one of the founding fathers. He died young, but he was brilliant. He was so brilliant. Like he was, he was so smart and he did so many things and he died so young. And there's a song towards the end of Hamilton, the song, it's called Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. And the day Tristan died, I probably listened to the song like, I don't know, 20 to 50 times. And I don't know why. And it's really interesting because it talks about him and how he was writing like he was running out of time. And then his wife, oh shoot, I forgot her name, Eliza. In the song, she says, I put myself back in the narrative. I live another 50 years. I tell your story. I think, what would you do, Alexander, if you had more time? It was almost like it was the song was singing about us. Do you know what I mean? Because Tristan was so brilliant and he did so much in the short amount of time he had. And here's the thing too, is like there are tons and tons and tons of documents that he has written down that we can still implement. Do you know what I mean? Like he, and it's funny because Tristan once said, I came here to be a spark in the world. And I didn't want to tell him at the time, but in my head, I said, honey, sparks come and go fast, but they create the fires, you know, and what Tristan's life was, was the biggest spark I've ever seen. And he needed to be that catalyst and he, and he had this brilliance and he never did anything with it until he got cancer. And with some nudging from me, (laughs) because I literally nudged the shit out of him. I'm like, we're doing a podcast. He's like, no, we're not. I'm like, we're doing a podcast. He's like, no. I'm like, honey, you're going to be so good on podcasts. And you guys, he crushed it. Yeah. Like all of the episodes with him, like people think like, I am just the person that says things, but Tristan brought the data and he brought the brains and he brought the... I mean, I was just the bravado, you know, and he, you guys are a great duo. <laughs> when you go back and listen to your podcast, they were so together, good. Huh? Just the natural husband and wife banter was like, I know so good. And the like, great banter. And he's so smart. He's so smart. He was so funny. He was so sweet. And, and it's funny because he loved the podcast. He loved educating people. And he would have never done it if he never, if he ever got, like, if he didn't get cancer, he would have never been able to do these things. And so I've actually never met somebody who has truly so much, like the level of passion and soul in their work. And I know a lot of people who are really passionate and love what they do, but to really see somebody just, it wasn't his work. Like it was actually his life and his soul and his heart and his his impact in the world. And to see him, I, you know, I, I hope everyone really just truly appreciates what a gift his knowledge is that he shared because it was really beautiful to see, you know, a few weeks before he passed, you know, a few times he had broke down just 
crying and, and sobbing of that stepping back from the podcast was the hardest thing he ever had right. to do. Right. And you think about just the heart and soul that that went into it is really beautiful, that it's not just a business. It is like his his impact and his legacy. It's his legacy. And his legacy is teaching people how to heal themselves, not only by education, but by love, by self-love. And I said this in the thing that I wrote up about his life, but the greatest thing he learned towards the end was to love himself. And I think that's Tristan's legacy is one, education is important. The data is important. The methods are important. The, the programs are important. But two, it means nothing, absolutely nothing if you don't have love, if you don't have safety and, and self-love, right? And so his legacy went from nutrition nerd to self-love expert. And it was really beautiful to see that happen towards the end as the cancer chipped away at his health and his body. And that's what we had to lean into. And that's, I think that was his greatest lesson he ever learned was to love himself. And maybe that's what the lesson is. But if Tristan was able to podcast during his cancer or podcast now, what about his experience or lessons? What do you think he would really want people to know? What would he say? I think he would say just that, that love is everything. Love, like yeah. it was funny the night before his life celebration, my friend had a dream and, and here I need to tell the stories about like so many people have been dreaming about him, but not just like fun dreams. Mm -hmm. It's like, he's in their dreams to teach them lessons. Like Tristan yeah. hasn't, he's not done teaching people. Like it's insane. I'm going to try and find the text and read them to you, but he is still giving people downloads. Like he's not gone. And that's what I want people to understand. Like, I want you to understand that if you are in circumstances like this, where a loved one has a, a really dire diagnosis, one, unpack your trauma. Two, allow yourself to get to the center, which is the heart. And three, let love flow. All right. Because that is what's going to be your tether to the person that passes on because love surpasses dimensions and time and existences. Love is, there's nowhere where love can't go. So if you want to stay connected to those that are going to pass on, get through your shit plug into love and let it explode through you. And they, and let them do that too. Like, and that's why I say, if I could go back and redo everything, I would have worked on the trauma. I would have worked on the emotional aspect with him so that it could have been less traumatic for him as he was passing. It could have been less scary for him. And so people are like, well, what tools would you would have done? So there are so many that are coming to light right now. One of the big ones is ketamine therapy. Ketamine therapy is extremely powerful. Did he do, did he do he did. ketamine? He did do ketamine. He did. he did ketamine and it was- Was that helpful for him? Yes, but I wish we had done it sooner because we did it yeah. like towards the end where he just was so depleted and he was so tired, but it actually did help him be less triggered. And so if we started in the beginning and just kept up on treatments, I truly feel like this transition would have been less traumatic for him and less mm. violent because he was very scared in the end. And it was very hard, like the amount of panic attacks and the fear. There was a lot of fear. You know, you can consciously understand all the good things, but the energy in the body is different, right? And for many people, the transition out of this life is not actually gentle like you see in the movies. 
while they are alive, they're suffering a lot. But I do want to tell people this. Tristan didn't suffer for five years. He didn't suffer physically. Emotionally, he did. Like the stress, the trauma, the fear of something is breathing down your back and that's death. Like that was hard. And so the ketamine therapy could have been really helpful as well as other things that I want to talk about a little bit. But his suffering, his physical suffering was only the last few months of his life. You know what I mean? Like, and it wasn't bad. And it was, we were able to manage it with medication. And so it wasn't like it was five years of physical suffering. I want people to understand that. And so the majority of this time, like if we could have gotten him in a really good, healthy mental place, like, I mean, our life was great. It could have been exponentially better. And so if you guys do have a diagnosis like this, get on the mental game now. Do it now because I feel like the fear and the trauma around these diagnosis, these things, cancer, whatever you have, it's more traumatic than the disease itself. It really is. And so, Gina, what were we talking about before I went on that rant? You asked the question. So, yeah, you were going to share a little bit about like what were what were the things you guys were doing for healing so okay. he did the ketamine he did the ketamine therapy and uh, he did ketamine which was really helpful so when we found out he definitely had his cancer i mean we suspected his cancer was back for so long but again he wouldn't get tested because again trauma like he was so traumatized but he kept all his wounds to himself and all of his suffering to himself and he would withdraw it was like eight months of that withdrawal and him just suffering in silence when I forced him to get a blood test. And we saw that his CEA was really high. It was the highest we'd ever seen it. And what I especially realized was, okay, we need to do healing of the heart now because the trauma is so intense. Like nobody can recover if you are in this state of like extreme, like traumatic response, right? So this is just what we did. And I don't think it's right for everyone, but I sent Tristan to an ayahuasca retreat because I have heard so many things about how it helps rewire the brain and how, how it helps to move energy through you and all of these really, really incredible things. And so I was like, well, let's try this Hail Mary, right? Let's, let's see, because at this point I knew it was like to heal the heart that we needed to focus on. And ayahuasca wasn't really for him. Like it, it actually, it was fine, but it, it wasn't the medicine that he needed. It actually traumatized him a little bit more, which is why I say it's not for everyone. So everyone listening, please don't go to like Costa Rica and just do ayahuasca, you know, research it first. But he came back learning about other plant medicines and other modalities. So what's really interesting is I actually went and then did an ayahuasca ceremony and it changed my life because a little bit about my story. I was a mess last year. And if you remember podcasts where Tristan said, he once said in a, in a podcast, like I wouldn't change me getting this cancer for anything. And I said, I would, I absolutely would give all this up so that you didn't have to get cancer if that was an option. And so a year ago, I was just a disaster and I had so much stuck trauma in my body. And I did talk therapy for months and I was getting nowhere with it because you can conceptually know that things need to change, but the energy inside your body doesn't change. I realized, you know what? I'm just going to probably die really young from all this stress and all this trauma and it's fine. Like everything's fine. Like there's nothing I can do about it. So long story short, I actually went and did an ayahuasca ceremony and people talk about mother Aya, right? How she reveals herself to you during these ceremonies and how sometimes it's like so beautiful and so gentle 
and so amazing. And it's funny because my personality is kind of like go big, go home. And that's exactly what my experience was like. It was not gentle. It was ginormous. But here's the thing. Here's why. And I'm actually super grateful for it because I want you to visualize a choking baby. (laughs) And if anyone knows how to, what you need to do with the choking babies, if you flip them over and you whack them on the back violently, like that's how you get whatever's stuck in their throat out is you, you flip them over, turn their, like turn them upside down and whack, 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 like on the back. I did this in CPR several times in class. It's really intense and probably very traumatic for the newborn, but rather whack them over and over. Otherwise they choke and die from that, which is dislodged in them or that which is stuck in them. So the visual I can, yes. So mother Aya gave me that visual and she was whacking me on the back over and over and over because what I literally saw was I was choking on my own trauma and my own stuck energy. And so there was throughout this whole session, just like it felt like waves of energy exploding out of my body. And it was like the trauma bubble had popped open inside of my body. Remember how I said I was in therapy like months prior and I was like, well, I'm just going to be stuck with this forever and I'm going to die from stress and that's fine because there's nothing I can do about it. Well, mother Aya was like, no, we're doing something about this right now. And so it was whack, 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 whack. (laughs) And it was actually a really great experience. That's a great analogy. (laughs) So, so sometimes she's gentle and, and this is really beautiful too, because you hear other people's experiences, people that I think need gentle experiences, get them and people that like can handle more intense, get them. And, and I guess, I guess I was like, let's go like, let's again, go big, go home. Right. That began my journey of recognizing that everything is energy and at the core, at the center of disease, at the center of imbalance, at the center of everything is energy. And if you don't release that energy, if you don't let it out of your body, it will turn and manifest into something that is actually not very desirable. And so I am so grateful because that was the beginning of the end for me. And then I started to like deep dive into how to heal emotionally and spiritually and mentally because I realized if I didn't, I would probably be dying too. And I felt like I was like the trauma around Tristan's cancer was so intense. Like, and no one gets it unless they've gone through it, right? Like no one can understand the intensity of the fear and the panic attacks and all the things until you go through it. And so I am really grateful for that experience I had. Don't recommend it to everyone, to everyone. Like again, do your homework. But, but then Tristan and I, we started uh, researching and we, we found this uh, really great like healing retreat that did really deep processes and heart opening experiences. And it changed our lives forever. Like, so we had the Aya that began the process and these retreats just continued the process. I think one of the most healing aspects about those retreats is the healing through belonging. Yes. And how important it is that, you know, when you're really struggling I think it's so easy to probably want to retreat into, you know, you don't want to be around people. You just want to close off. It's probably really challenging to be around people, but truly like healing through finding a tribe and belonging and community. Right. 
And it was the most beautiful thing we had ever encountered when we were able to enter this space where we could open our hearts fully and process things that we had kept buried deep inside for so long. It was liberating. Yes, that's where I met you. Exactly. Oh my God. And it was like, and there's a book written by a doctor called Feelings Buried Alive Never Die. It's very, Mm -hmm. very, it's very scientific. It's very dense. If you want the science behind all of this, please read that book. Or you can just trust me that energy stored in your body will create disease. And so when we were able to go to these retreats and start unpacking this energy that we have buried from cancer, from our past histories, from everything, you know, just life in general, we started to become liberated and the layers, the onion layers started to come off. And it's really funny because when I was in this, going back, when I was in my ayahuasca ceremony, oh my gosh, (laughs) I'm a little embarrassed to, to share this. I called the facilitator over. She was this like really hippie, like, I don't want to say airhead, but just dancing around. And here I am in like my really deep process, right? And I would like look her really intensely in the eyes and I'd be like, there's so much trauma in my body. Like I started to feel it, like it just bubbling, right? I'm like, oh my God, what is that? And she would just dance around. She's like, be like, don't worry, at the center is the heart. And And I would look at her, I'm like, no there is more trauma under the trauma. And she's like, just keep going at the center of the heart. And I wanted to punch her and be like, there is more trauma under the trauma, under the trauma. The trauma is endless. And she was just like, no, because at the center is the heart. And I wanted to like shake her and be like, you don't get it, do you? You don't get life. You don't get hard shit. Like you don't get it. My life has been really rough. I didn't say that, obviously. It was all in my head. I was clearly a civilized human being and I didn't punch anyone. And I want to be really clear, I've never punched anyone in my entire life. But she was actually right. (laughs) Uh, Dang it. I was hoping there'd be more trauma just to be right. No, no, I didn't get to the center. I didn't get to the heart that night because there was so many layers of trauma, but I kept unpacking it over the next several months. And I'm so grateful Tristan and I had these experiences of unpacking all of these really deep-seated subconscious programs and all of these things that were like just getting in the way of us connecting on a soul level. Because once we got rid of the stories and once we got rid of the trauma, once we got rid of these negative energetic charges that were just stuck in our bodies. We were finally able to connect on levels that no life could have ever taught us other than this life with death. So people are probably wondering, well, okay, if I don't want to do Aya, uh, what should I do? So there is the ketamine that I mentioned. I think next year, Gina, correct me if I'm wrong, but it just passed the last phase of human trials And next year, it's going to be legalized for MDMA to be used in clinical settings. And they are showing, is that correct? I actually don't know. (laughs) Okay. So, and they're showing with these clinical trials, human clinical trials, that they're curing PTSD in like one session. And it's really beautiful. And so our world is finally opening up to these chemicals and these incredibly powerful plant medicines and these substances that really help you rewire the brain 
and reprogram because, you know, they say neurons that fire together, wire together. So if you have been wiring trauma in your brain for so long, you have these pathways of trauma that are your dominant pathways. But what they're finding with like ayahuasca and what they're finding with like psilocybin, what they're finding with all of these other things, these plant medicines, is that it is literally rewiring your brain in like just one or a few sessions. And it is overriding those programs so rapidly. And so am I telling you to go and do these things? Absolutely not. I'm telling you to research them, recognize that these things are coming to the surface, that they are being utilized in clinical settings. And they're having miraculous results, like literally miraculous. And like, I think that that's where you said, like doing the research is so important so because important. there are so many people who are now like, it's the next coolest thing. And they're right. throwing themselves into trauma without the right, right. support and integration. Oh my gosh. And so I think that integrating what came up and what learned, what you learned with somebody who knows how to help with that process is exactly. like- the most important thing you could do. Exactly. We have spoken about Sangha. Like there is this therapy called Sangha. Maybe we should get Christy to talk about it sometime and how Sangha yes, works. You should definitely have Christy on. But like Sangha, like Tristan did Sangha and it was like, oh, it was amazing. Oh, and there's EMDR therapy that helps rewire yes. your brain and move traumatic memories to a different part of your brain so that it doesn't have that emotional charge anymore. So ketamine, EMDR therapy, like Sangha therapy, like there are all of these incredible modalities that are coming to the surface and getting more and more exposure and they should, they should get the credit. They should get this credit because they are that powerful and thank God that people are using them now. There's another therapy that I'm actually doing it tomorrow. It's called Cambo. Combo. I don't know how they say it. And it's actually pretty intense. But it's a peptide therapy that uh, the shamans used to do down in South America, and they still do it. But it's maybe people know more of like a frog therapy. But they use the mucus off of a certain Amazonian frog, and they put it in your system. And this mucus has these peptides that are extremely cleansing and healing, and they help your body purge toxins and it has this really incredible but acute immune response and just helps you do to detox and physically and energetically purge things that are not supposed to be there. And again, like people are getting these miraculous results. Like they are reversing their pots and they are like healing their rheumatoid arthritis and their digestive issues and like purging parasites and healing neurological issues. And it's like, it's so beautiful that our world is starting to finally open up to these modalities that were once given a bad reputation and mm -hmm. there was a lot of shame taboo. thrown at them. They were so taboo. I mean, think about like five years ago, how people started talking about CBD. CBD was so taboo and now everyone does CBD. Babies do CBD, right. pets do CBD because we see the healing benefits of it and how it helps so much more than any pharmaceutical drug that is out there on the market, right? Well, and a lot of people are like feeling like, oh, that's very like hippie or they're druggies or they're this or that. But what was so eye-opening was two years ago, I went to a huge conference by health professionals. Um, it was the evidence of natural-based supplements or treatments. Mm -hmm. And this was put on by Scripps Hospital. And the presenters were researchers and doctors from Scripps Hospital. And they were talking about what 
so many medications come with so many health effects oh my and gosh. risks and they're ineffective. And they were talking about using psilocybin, MDMA, ketamine. Yes. They were talking about actually using these things. And, and of course they were saying this should not be used just carelessly right. or recreationally. It should be used under the guidance of somebody who can help with the healing process. And then it's not for everybody, right. but to be open to this and that it can be incredibly healing for some people. It was really beautiful to see physicians from Scripps Hospital uh, sharing this information with medical professionals. Well, and I love that. And it's about time. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. if there's anything that we've learned is that the mental well-being of our world is, world is actually getting worse and worse and worse. And more information is actually not helping us heal. It's actually making right. us more anxious. I know I've gone on this like massive tangent, but I want people to know that I'm actually doing okay. I'm doing so good. Mm -hmm. Like I am healing and I am, I mourn, but I am so uplifted and so inspired every freaking day. And the reason why is because I still have this heart opening connection with my husband on levels that I never knew could exist. And I feel like the only reason I am able to tap into this incredible frequency and vibrational force is because I did the work and Tristan did the work. Mm -hmm. If I was drowning in trauma, if I was drowning in all of this, oh my God, all of this, uh, energy that was stuck in my body a year ago, if that was still like driving this vehicle, I don't know if I would be alive today. I don't know if I would be functional. I would probably be on medications. I would probably be like not okay, but I am great. I am thriving because of oh. the work that we were able to do together to heal our hearts and to connect on a level that souls connect because what this journey turned into was not a journey of the body. It was a journey of the heart and the mind and the soul. And so I would love to talk more about like soul contracts. I don't know if I should do that in another podcast, but as we started doing this healing together and as we started unpacking all of this stuff, it allowed us to really tap into the deeper meaning of why we've been here. And we would talk about and it's funny because when we talk about this, it would resonate so true when we started talking about the contract of our souls and how we had this massive contract together to find each other and spread this message to people of their own power and their own divinity and how you can heal through self-empowerment, but also self-love and self-adoration. What were you going to ask, Gina? So you, you know, you were saying like, I, I'm doing, I'm doing great and I'm thriving. And what about people who are really in that grieving process right, right now? Do you have advice for going through that? So, oh my God. Um, yes and no, because I am definitely not the grieving expert. I have had one experience. Mm -hmm. This has been my first massive loss in life. But I would say just feel it. You just have to feel it. And, and this is the difference between me and other people is like, I've been grieving for a year, you know? And so when Tristan passed, that's when people started grieving. And the thing is like, I've practiced grieving and, and I used techniques and tools throughout the past few months to just help me move the grief and the sadness out of my body. And so like what was that? So I would go hiking 
And I would like really like drop into my body and I would say, body, how do you need to move today? Body, what kind of music do you want to listen to? Body, what do we need to ponder on today? What book should we listen to? And I would kind of let my body take the reins. And it was really funny because I got into this pattern when I would always do the same trail, like three times a week, maybe four. And I would feel into it. Do I want to run? Do I want to sprint? Do I want to like, what is the energy that my body needs to express today? And some days I would just be sprinting my heart out and panting. And as I would get into this rhythm, I would start bursting out crying. And then I would go into a massive process as I, then I would stop running and I'd start walking and I would allow myself to like, pant and dry heave and just let it all come out of me. Right. And it was beautiful because it felt safe because I was in nature and I was alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's this saying I learned from a friend, mother, the mother, and I allowed mother nature to mother me as I, and hold me in a way that no one knew how to, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I would just go out into nature and I would ground and I would listen to my body and ask my body, like, how do you want me to move this through today? How, how do we let this go? And I did some of my most massive processes up in the mountains, just moving my body and moving the energy of grief and sadness and anger and rage whenever it came up. And I didn't judge it because here's the thing. We all here have come here for this human experience. And yet we are so ashamed of human emotions. And here's the thing about human emotions, like anger and rage. You should be thanking them. You should thank your rage for trying to tell you that there's something wrong in your life. You should thank your rage for constantly trying to signal to you that you are being dishonored or you are dishonoring yourself. The reason why you feel rage, the reason why you feel anger, the reason why you feel sadness is because there is something that it's trying to tell you and it's trying to like nudge you back to your true north, right? If you are feeling these emotions, it's because you have not been facing your true north for a really long time and it's just a compass trying to point you back again. And so we should be thanking these emotions and allowing them through us and allowing us to feel the full spectrum of it because we are the full spectrum of humanness. So that's what I would tell people that are grieving right now is feel it. Like don't push it down like you are sad and but also recognize the beauty of that sadness and that grief because you loved someone so much that you are feeling the soul pain of them being gone but if you can get yourself to that place where you can find peace and hope and love if you can ship down to your core and get rid of those layers of sadness or not rid of them, but like let them through you. At the core is the heart. And when you can feel your heart and you can get rid of the crust that is encompassing your heart, you will feel them. They're just waiting for you to feel them because they feel you all the time. And there are so many people, there's the book called Dying to Be Me. And there's so many people that have died and come back. And they all say the same thing. They all say, like, why are you sad? Like, I'm happy. I'm in love. I am, I am whole. Like, why are you mourning? They are elated to be where they are because they are in perfect harmony and there's nothing that is like holding them back. But when they see us on this side grieving, they ask why, why? Right. 
And so I think it's important to let the grief flow through you. Like, let it, like, it's ugly, man. Like, let, I mean, it's actually beautiful, but it's going to sound ugly coming out and it's going to feel ugly coming out. And it's like, maybe you have to just like flop your arms around to get it out. Like, get it out, move it out because it's such a big emotion because it has such a big message because you had such a big loss. So feel it and honor it. And then recognize and try to practice coming back to the center, coming back to the heart, because that is when you will be able to connect to your loved one because they are there. They are in love. They are the frequency of pure, perfect love. I don't know if I answered that right. And that might not be the right answer. I mean, there's probably some therapists out there that are like, Janique, shut your mouth. You don't know what you're talking about, but... (laughs) You've lived it. You've that, lived it. A, yeah, right. <laughs> there's, there's also, there's so much wisdom that we still have not yet had a chance to really pull out of you. I do think a part two would be really cool if you're open to it to just go mm-hmm. even a little bit deeper into this idea of the soul contracts. You mentioned that and people are probably like, what are you talking about? Right. What's a soul contract? Or maybe even some right. of like a peek into some of those intimate conversations yeah. that, you know, you and Tristan have had, or, you know, some of the lessons or right. some of the healing processes, or maybe I am wondering if people are wondering when you say the trauma around death, like, what do you mean by that? Like, right. What does that look like? What does that what does that sound like? What are those conversations like? I think if you, if you're open to going deeper, I think a part two would be really. I am cool. open. I think that'd be really great, and I will ask listeners what they want me to unpack on part two. But I want to end this podcast on some really beautiful synchronicities that happened around Tristan's death. And so I, where do I even start? I'll start with the dreams. So the night Tristan died, the only person I texted was his mom that night. As soon as I found out and as soon as I had a second, I texted Kim. I called my parents to come and help me with the kids. And I called my best friend who lives in South Africa, but I didn't tell anyone else until the morning after. But that night, three of Tristan's closest female friends all had dreams about him. And they were the most exquisite dreams. They were so beautiful. Gina, you had a dream about him. And wasn't it like that night you just, will you tell people what your dream was? Yeah, I woke up and I was like, wow, I had a dream last night that I came up to Tristan on the couch and he was sleeping. And I remember like in real life, Tristan was always like afraid to go to sleep. You know, there was like this fear. And in my dream, I went up and I sat next to him sleeping and he was like kind of like he felt nervous. And I was like, Tristan, it's me. It's your friend, Gina. And like in his sleep, he was just like very like smiling and like, okay, there's people with me. Like I'm okay. And then that was it. And I think that's so beautiful because, you know, it, it encompasses the peace, you know, and it was like a sign of peace. But his other friend, she dreamt that she came over to our house and she saw Tristan up in the kitchen cooking and his voice was back and he had put on weight and he was looking happy and healthy. And then we all went on the couch and we snuggled and then he went down to the garage to fix something. And that was the night that he died. And the funny thing about this friend that he had was they only knew each other when he was very, very sick. They became really close while he was sick. So she never knew a healthy Tristan. And so to her, this was the gift that he gave her to say, this is who, remember me as this. Does that make sense? Like this is, remember me as healthy Tristan. 
But then, but then our other friend, Jess, she's so in tune and she has had several dreams about him since she's died. And these are like vivid dreams and she's never had dreams like this before. But Tristan and Jess were so close and he loved her so much. And uh, that night she dreamt that her and her husband and me were pulling Tristan up a mountain and we got to the summit and we laid him at the top, like on this like fluffy cloud, like bed. And he laid there and he took one big deep breath in and he said, I can breathe easy now. I'm in love. And as soon as he said that, his whole body turned rainbow color. And I get goosebumps saying that because, and here's the thing is Tristan shows himself in rainbows. And it's so beautiful because I'm pretty sure Utah has now had this record number of rainbows ever. Like I have never seen so many rainbows in June and July in my entire life. And there's just rainbows. I've everywhere. never seen so many rainbows in my life. I and know. we were the day before he passed when we were in mm-hmm. Austin, we saw a double rainbow that we took a picture and sent it to you. Right. Yes, I you mean, did. There and, have been rainbows everywhere. And, and here's another thing too. Raj, our friend Raj, who was so close to Tristan in his therapy session, he was with a, what, what is she like a psych- hypnotherapist? She's a hypnotherapist. And you know, Tristan came up in, in his session and the hypnotherapist said, I see your friend. Yeah. She said, he's, she said, he's trying to make it across the rainbow across to the other the side. And he's having trouble getting there. So this was about two days before Tristan passed. And uh, we were getting ready to go visit you guys. Right. And our plan was to come at the end of the week. Right. And two days before she passed, she said, I think you need to go now. Mm-hmm. He's, he's trying to get to the other side of the rainbow and he's having trouble doing it. Which is and wild. Like again, rainbow, rainbow, so rainbow. Mm-hmm. And Raj was helping to have this art piece commissioned for Tristan's kids right. that was the kids dancing under a rainbow. And this was Tristan's vision. Right. And it, we were racing to have the art piece done racing. so Tristan could see it racing right. around the clock. And the night that it was finished, the night like that Tristan <sighs> really wanted to know that it was done. He really wanted to see it. And the night that it was finished, Tristan passed, passed. Tristan passed away like this, this beautiful painting of rainbows and the children dancing and Tristan in the middle. Like it was all these really insane synchronicities that happened. So Tristan visited people in their dreams. And the next morning he he's really close with his sister, Brittany, who is the office manager at Provo Health. And she said that as she came to drive to our house the next morning, Friday morning, as she entered the canyon, because we live in, in the canyon here, And you can feel him so strong here. But she said, as soon as she entered the canyon, she heard him say to her, I love you, sister. It was peaceful entering in. Mm. And I know, right? Like she heard him and, and it was his old voice, his healed voice, not the you know, the sexy, like the sexy Tristan voice. I only that he know had. the sexy Tristan voice. I know you voice, only know the sexy Tristan That's all I can, you know, when I hear like right. his older podcast, I'm like, that's not Tristan. Right, right. I know, right. But like, and it was so beautiful that he said it was peaceful entering in because he was so scared. He was so scared it wouldn't be. And I'm so glad that he gave that message to her. And then you guys, there's just so many things I could go on and on and on about the synchronicities. But so rainbows kept showing up and there was this, my friend who channels people, she channeled him and he said in this thing to me, look for me in rainbows. And I was like, well, I already see you in all the freaking rainbows. Like you didn't have to tell me twice. And it was amazing because on his life celebration, there was the 
biggest double rainbow over Provo, like the biggest. Mm. And, you know, it's funny because now I see rainbows everywhere and I see colors everywhere, but even trying to get my kids to see it. My son in the beginning was having a hard time connecting to daddy, right? And so he came home one day with my mom and he's like, mom, why is it that Satori can see daddy and hear him, but I can't? And I said, well, he just talks to you and me differently. I don't hear daddy's voice, but I, I see him in rainbows. And my mom and him were walking up to me and she gave me a letter from her neighbor, you know, a letter of condolences. And I flipped it over and this neighbor had sealed the letter with a rainbow sticker. And as I flipped it over, it was right in front of Tennyson's face. And I said, look, Ten, daddy's showing himself to you. <laughs> and like, how did this neighbor know? Like, and this was before the funeral and this was before I announced the rainbows and this was before all the things, right? And I just said, I said, look, daddy's talking. Like he, he hears you, he's here. And here's the other thing that is super duper wild. And I, and I want to end with this because it's, again, when you open your heart, the universe pours itself into you, literally pours itself. So I met this one friend at, uh, at these healing retreats that I met Gina at. And uh, she said at the healing retreat that she was at, it was 5.30, she's showering and it hits her like a ton of bricks. And she hears something in her mind saying, give your number to Janique right now. You're going to be there when Tristan dies. This was in November, all right? Her and I have never had a conversation together ever. She gives me her number and we become like, we become sisters in like a few months. And it was funny because the week before Tristan's death, I started doing the liver reset. This is really important, uh, I promise. And we were, so, so I started doing the liver reset and I started having dreams on the liver reset, right? I never dream, especially around, around Tristan and all that. Like I slept very lightly and I hardly ever slept. And I started having these dreams and I had this dream that we were going to this friend's house in Colorado to visit her. And so I called her up Tuesday morning and I said, Jay, like I had this most amazing dream that I, that we were all there visiting you and it was so amazing. And she told me all of this after Tristan passed, but she said that was her red flag. And like, she was agitated all day and she's like, I need to be there right now. Like that to her was her sign. And she said, I need to be there. And so she said, I can come to you right now. And I was like, oh, no, it's fine. Gina's coming to stay for a couple of weeks at the end of this week. And like, every, you can come afterwards. And she was like, okay. So the day went on. This was Tuesday still. And I remember I finished my gutsy Zoom class, uh, the digestion restoration class that night. I was exhausted. I got home. Tristan was a mess. My mom was a mess because she'd been helping me like almost all day. Satori was crying. Her legs were hurting. My legs were hurting. Like it was grueling. Like it was just, and I remember I was laying there on the floor. I think I took a picture and I posted on Instagram, but laying there on the floor, just rubbing Tristan's feet, just exhausted. And I saw how exhausted my mom was. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't know how we're going to get through till tomorrow to tomorrow. And I, I went to the bathroom and I looked at my phone and Jay had uh, texted me and she said, I want you to know my bags are packed and I'm ready to come, you just say the word. And that was my invitation to say, I need you now. And she came the next day, which was Wednesday, and Thursday, Tristan passed. And I just think these incredible, like I would have been completely alone, drowning and screaming kids because my kids were actually screaming when I found out Tristan had died. And I'm like, okay, keep screaming and just don't look at daddy. <laughs> like I was drowning in my kid screaming and I just discovered that Tristan had passed and I locked eyes with Jaylin and she knew exactly what to do. 
And I told her, Jalen, if you hadn't been here, I probably would have been a wreck, but I felt so safe that you were here and that my husband's body could be in the hands of someone that loved and adored him so that I could take care of the kids and then take care of this whole process. And so there were all these insane synchronicities. It just seemed way too much of coincidences. Like there were so many massive coincidences that are just not coincidences, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, it's beautiful. The message is if you can get to the heart, the center, which is the heart, the universe will pour itself into you because the universe loves you. You just need to be open to receiving it. And so I am a mourning widow but I am also rejoicing because my heart is blasting open and it is so full and I'm so grateful. And I don't want everyone to feel like that their morning should look like my morning. Like everyone's path is different. And so I want people to know we're actually okay. We're doing okay. And I will do a part two talking about the kids, but like if I can stay present in every moment, I can channel him and I can feel him. And a week and a half ago, I used to say, but I want more. I want to touch him. I want to see you with my eyes and touch you with my hands. But the message that keeps coming back to me is you have to see me with your heart. And so I do. I know. And so I do. I just feel him all the time. And I, and like, and his love is so huge. It's ginormous. It's so big. I didn't know that he could love so big. And here's another thing. Oh my gosh, we should wrap up. But the thing is like, after he died, you know, like I had been working so, so, so hard for him to be here. And there was so much sadness and so much anger and so much rage and so much. And after he died, it's like all of that was flooded out with pure unadulterated love. And so I truly mean it when I say I am overflowing in love and it's not my love, it's his Like, I feel like I just, when I connect to him, when I channel him, I am with him and it's his love. And I didn't realize how big he could love. Like people that knew Tristan knew he had a big heart, but this like takes it to a new level. And I'm so grateful that I was able to do my work of unpacking my stuff so that I could get myself to this place where I connect I can connect with him and I can still feel him and I can still channel him and I can still be with him in a way that isn't of this world or that isn't in this world or of it, but is beyond it and surpasses it and goes through it. So I just sit in wonder and awe and gratitude for those lessons and those downloads and for the lessons that cancer has taught us. And this is, this is what death taught us. Death taught us that we are not our bodies. We are the love that encompasses our bodies. And I know we need to wrap up, but one more thing I want to share with people. I wrote this a while ago. This is what I wrote about death back in January when I started unpacking my trauma around death and embracing it for what it was. And I said, death is a weird phenomenon. We spend most of our lives pretending it doesn't exist. We avoid it like the plague and we refuse to contemplate its role in our lives. And yet we all will die one day, every one of us. No one escapes death. I've had to befriend death this past week. Look at it and talk to it, like really converse with it. 
I leaned into it and thanked it for the gifts it has given us. And there have been so many gifts, so many tender mercies. And the strange thing is this, when you finally befriend death, you realize that it's not scary the way living is. It's not painful the way life can be. Death is the perfect bomb that cradles us when we have fulfilled our soul's contracts in this life. Death is the loving midwife that transitions us back into godhood. Death is the ultimate healer. And so I want people to know that grieving, I am sad and I miss my husband so, so much, but death healed him and it took his broken body and broke open his heart. And now his love is everywhere and I get to still plug into it and love him. Yeah. Just in a different way. It really did. That's all so true. (laughs) So, so there you go. So um, you guys, thanks for listening. I know this was a lengthy podcast. We might do a part two. So I hope you guys learned something. I hope this felt good. I hope, yeah, I just hope that maybe we can all lean into love and recognize that my interest in story isn't a love story about us. It's a love story about everyone. And that when we leave and lean into love, and we allow love to dictate to us how to live. That's when we actually begin the healing process. So thank you for listening. Thank you for still being here. You guys, the show will go on. The show must go on. It's always going to go on. As long as we get downloads, as long as Gina and I are learning and educating and doing all the things, we will share them. We will continue to share them. We will continue to dismantle this broken healthcare system that we call medicine. And we will do that by teaching people to be their best healing champions. So thank you for being here. Well said. We love you. We are here for you. And it is an honor to serve you and to hold space with you as you embark on your healing journeys. 